Welcome to another new episode of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and so far we've covered loads of different creative jobs like being a sports commentator, a blogger, a comedy writer, a TV presenter, they're all there for you to listen to. This week my next guest is a recording engineer. Now it is a bit ironic therefore that the sound on this one is not of the superb quality that she works with because that is because we recorded it in a cafe. But sit back, grab your own cup of coffee and enjoy. If you like music, chances are Olga Fitzroy has had something to do with something you have listened to because she's a recording and mix engineer. She's worked on records for Coldplay, Muse and composers like Hans Zimmer. She's also been MPG Engineer of the Year and welcome to Where Did It All Go Right? Thank you for having me. Um, We all listen to albums. Can you just explain what a recording and mix engineer does? So a recording engineer is the person who's in charge of how the record sounds together with the producer. So it's my job to choose the microphones and to decide perhaps where the players are going to stand in the studio, to position the microphones to make sure you get like the best recording and also to make it easy for the players to see each other and to get a good headphone mix so they get a good performance. You're kind of there from the get-go. Yeah. It's a really interesting job, because a lot of people probably, when you go to a party and you say what you do, do they just kind of go... Always the first question. (laughs) What celebrities do you know? And can I meet them? Second question. But but also, did you always want to do this kind of thing? Were you always into music? Yeah, I mean, as a teenager, I wanted to be a rock star and a drummer in a punk band, and being a sound engineer was my plan B. But I did quite a lot of work experience, sort of on weekends, helping out at a local studio and working with sound and lighting technicians at a local theatre and quickly sort of found that was going to be my plan A because I really enjoyed it. You think, OK, I want to do this. How do you go about doing it? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky in that I did a degree in Surrey called the Tonmeister course, which has got a really good reputation and they actually make you do a year in industry. So it's a formal placement, you work for a year and they've got really good relationships with established studios and broadcasters. And I ended up doing my year out in industry at Air Studios, one of the two biggest studios in London, uh, started by Sir George Martin. And is that what you would suggest, is to go and do a a proper course? Is that the best way in or or is it hanging around studios and getting sort of experience on the job? And both really. I mean, I think things have changed a lot because obviously university costs a lot more money now than it did. I think if you are going to go down the university route, then that is very much the best course to do in terms of getting a placement and getting a good job at the end of it. It's quite academic, so you need A-levels in like maths and physics and things. Not everyone's that academic, but doesn't mean they're going to be a, a bad engineer. So if maybe that's not your kind of where your aptitudes lie, maybe you can go down just doing work experience and working for people. But you've got to be really passionate about it. You have well. to be really passionate and be prepared to work very, very long hours for generally not very much money, particularly at the beginning. You're not selling this. <laughs> <laughs> we often get this image of bands in studios, and it's always like three o'clock in the morning. Do you always have to be there at stupid o'clock? Not always, but if you're an engineer on a band session, you're there you know, when they start and when the last band member goes home. And if you're an assistant engineer, you're there even a bit longer. Yeah. Before them and after exactly. them Exactly, well. yeah. yeah. So and especially with band sessions, you might get some members of the band starting early, other members wanting to do, particularly vocalists, wanting to stay late at night. So band sessions, I think, in particular, can go on quite late. Yeah. And I guess there's a... A person, you have to be somebody who really gets on and works with... 90% of the job is getting on with people. I mean, the technology you can learn, do you know what I mean? It's not that difficult. If you're interested enough, then you can learn it. But I think it is, 90% of it is getting on with people. Do you remember the longest session you ever had? 
<laughs> when you, you didn't see blue sky for, for quite a while. I think my longest studio day when I was an assistant was 35 hours. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, 35 hours in a day. I might have had like an hour's kip on the sofa at one point, but yeah. And do you sometimes have days when you're working where you think, or oh, they, they think, this isn't quite working, this, this doesn't quite sound what we wanted, we're going to have to start again? Occasionally with bands they might go through different things, but, but often it's not even necessarily a sound thing, it might be a writing thing, it might be a tempo thing, it might be a kind of vibe, feel type thing. With mixing you definitely get, you know, especially if you're doing remote mixing, you will send them a mix and people will send back comments going, change this, change that. And I think you've just got to learn not to take it personally or get demoralised by it. And I think now that I've got the experience that I've got, I know that at the end of the day there will be a finished mix that everyone's happy with. And sometimes the process is easy and sometimes it's not so easy. But, you know, with the experience that you've got, you've generally got the tools to get there in the end. Yeah, yeah, you've just got to be patient. Exactly. Do you remember the first thing that you worked on that it was you were in charge? Um, well, I think one of the first things I did where I was in charge as an engineer was actually I'd assisted on the Guillemot's first album, which is a really amazing album, and then they were doing some B-sides in a, another studio, so I think that was one of my first sessions I did as an engineer. It was, you know, it was really fun. I was quite nervous, probably. I think we had three drum kits in the room for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably one of the first ones, and, you know, they're still good friends yeah. of mine, so... Must have gone okay. It must have gone okay. Yeah. But when you start and you think, right, they've done all this, now yep. I've been brought in, it must be quite a nerve-wracking experience. It's definitely nerve-wracking. I mean, at least, like, on that session, I knew all the people really well because okay. I just spent six months in the studio with them. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably quite aware of the responsibility of actually being in charge of how stuff sounds rather than just, you know, helping the engineer who knows what they're doing. And is it, in terms of getting your next job, is it all about recommendation, really? A lot of it's about recommendations. I mean, I was lucky that I was also based at a big studio, so, you know, occasionally sessions would come through. But I think when I was first starting to engineer, often the jobs I might get would be, say, a pickup session on a long project that I'd been assisting on, and maybe the main engineer then couldn't do a few days, and I'd do things like that. And is there an album that you would really wish that you had either worked on or in the future? Because you've worked with so many different people, which we'll get to in a bit, but is there somebody you think, right, I want to work with them? I would have loved to have been involved in the Blondie records. What about if you're working on an album or some music that you're not massively into? Does that make it harder or is it ultimately you have to strip that bit away and not get too emotionally attached to it? I think you can sort of find something to kind of get inspired by with any music. I mean, I don't tend to work in genres that I really dislike. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a massive fan of classical crossover music, you know, I've done a few things and, you know, again, you can still get into the musicianship they generally have fantastic orchestras playing, but it's not really my thing and it's not the type of music I tend to work on. But, you know, film music can be really varied and you might not necessarily go home and put on a soundtrack album, but when you're working on the film music, it's also about telling the story, you know, the music being part of the film, so that part of it's really interesting as well. Mm, Because I want to talk to you about film music because that must be quite a high, even more high pressure because you're probably working with not just the composer, but you've got the director. Can you just talk us through the process of how, how that is different from, say, working on a Muse album? Film music, especially if it's an orchestral score, you'll generally have, I don't know, say 60 musicians in the room and it's probably cost, their musicians' time is probably costing about £100 a minute. So um, sonically, you know, you've got to get it right instantly. You can't spend half a day doing sound checks. <laughs> and you've got to, again, make it sound good because it can often 
well, it will be the first time the director has heard the music like that with real musicians playing it. You might have heard demos before, but this is like the first time they're hearing it. So you've got to keep the composers and the directors and the producers' confidence in this really expensive thing that they're doing. I think it's impressive, and that sort of goes quite well because an orchestra playing in a beautiful room is impressive. So that often helps, but it can be quite nerve-wracking as well for the composers because they're under a lot of pressure. Yes, at that stage, things to be changed still by the director. Yeah, it can definitely happen. <laughs> basically you're there to support the composer as well quite often and to kind of read the room so if the director might make a comment about something it's my job to maybe see if I can help with that. You're some of the such changes, a mediator aren't yeah, you? Yeah 100%. Yeah which is your favourite um, soundtrack that you've worked on because you've worked on so many haven't you? That's really difficult. Um, something that maybe you'd get home and you would put it on although I bet when you've been in the studio for hours and hours you don't want to put anything on maybe when you get home. If I've been mixing I tend to not want to then listen to music for fun yeah. in the evening because my ears are tired my brain's tired. Um, if I've been recording because that tends to be kind of bursts of activity with breaks and things in between then might still go home and put on a record. So, soundtrack-wise? A couple of years ago, I did record and mix the score for a film called Mum's List. Amelia Warner is the composer on that. Um, it's a really sad film about a mum who has cancer and dies. I was a new mum at that point. I had my three-month-old son was brought into the studio. Quite and then hormonal. Yep, and Amelia, I think her baby was about 10 days old, so we're both there, like, in between kind of tea breaks of the sessions, sat in the back room breastfeeding our babies. It's all a bit emotional. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was nice, actually, kind of, because it was quite a female-heavy control room, which never, ever happens. Can we also talk about... I've got it in my bag, actually, because I was listening to it last night. Coldplay's Ghost Stories. Yeah. Which I noticed on your Twitter band, that you've got a little message from, from the guys. When you were working on that, did you think, this is going to be pretty massive? Yeah, I guess it was at that stage, probably already really yeah. massive. But like, it could have gone the other way, couldn't it? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's different from some, a lot of their other albums because it's a bit more intimate and the recording process was, you know, a lot of it was like home recordings and things like that. So it's more intimate than the big, massive ones that they've done. And do you get involved in home recordings as well then? Or? Yeah. yeah. We set up a studio in, in Guy's house for a bit recording and they've got their own studios where, you know, they've got all the equipment and even if it's like home recording, you get the time and the resources to make it work. Some artists probably go, right, after a very short time, that's fine, done. Yeah. I'm out the door. Yeah. Are they quite keen to get it right and do it over and over? I get that impression, but I might be wrong. Yeah, no, they're definitely perfectionists and want to get it right. That doesn't mean it's necessarily what you'll hear will be like a million takes or something. It might be that first take is that magic take, but they still want to explore and try and make sure that it is the magic take. So they might do other things and then come back to something older. And, and yeah. how did you get involved with them in the first place? Well, I used to, when I was a runner at Air, I used to bring them cappuccinos or like smoothies or what have you, like bring them drinks into the studio when they were working on X and Y, I think it was. So I kind of knew them a little bit and then they came back to do Viva La Vida and their producer asked for me to be on the session as an assistant. Not just providing the drinks this time. No, plugging things in as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of getting that relationship with them from an early stage. You think that's exactly. something that's, if you're starting out in the profession, is do anything so important. And, and not be one of these people that says, I'm not going to make the tea. Absolutely, yeah, it's so important. And, you know, you might still, when you're an engineer at some point, go, would you mind making me a cup of tea? And of course you make them a cup of tea, do you know what I mean? I think... The relationship thing is what I tell everybody that's starting out. It's so important. You can't underestimate that. Do you find as well that in terms of the group of engineers, it's quite a close-knit group that you you all kind of know each other in the industry? Yeah, we do. I mean, 
now that I'm freelance, I guess I don't work with a lot of the other engineers anymore. A lot of people that I used to assist that I now kind of only see in passing or at launch at the studio. But yeah, especially having grown up in a big studio that's a bit of a family atmosphere, this definitely is that kind of camaraderie amongst engineers. Yeah. And, and that studio, as you said, is so... It's just got so much history. Because yeah. you worked on a Beatles album, didn't you? I did. That was probably one of my most memorable sessions. So that was when I was assisting, and they got a bunch of old Beatles recordings to do the, the Love album and the uh, Cirque du Soleil show. And there's an old recording that they found of While My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison, that kind of demo recording, just acoustic, that George Martin then did a new string arrangement for, which we recorded at air. I think that was the last ever Beatles recording, and I got to assist on that. I think my hands would have been trembling. Yeah, that was definitely. And it was really moving as well, because Sir George was obviously getting on a bit, and, and I think he'd just come out of hospital, so he's looking a bit frail, walking with a stick, and then the minute that he got up on the podium conducting, it just took about 20 years off him. It was really? amazing. And you could just really feel the love from the musicians for him as well. Really amazing session to be part oh, of. Oh, I bet. Makes me feel quite emotional just yeah. hearing about it. And, and for you as well, you were kind of working your way up the yeah. profession. Did you kind of look at him and think, wow, and, and probably learnt so much from him just in that short period of time? Yeah, absolutely. And because he obviously started there, when I first started, he would still pop in and, you know, come in to chat to people and he'd pop into the studios and the clients would love that but he was also you know he knew all the staff's name and made a point of talking to new runners and things so he was my first boss really which is amazing yeah do you think you learnt from him things like talking to people being exactly friendly, being personal yeah. yeah I think so and he sort of I guess gave the whole studio that kind of ethos and that kind of atmosphere it's amazing to have a highlight like that quite early on in your career yeah. though isn't it yeah <laughs> where'd you go from there okay. so looking back on Looking back, you know, we talked about you did your degree and you got your your internship, really, which mm. was massive um, yeah. at Air. What would you say would be the sort of big turning points, the bits where, where it all did all go right for you to get to where you are now? I guess getting asked to engineer ghost stories, because I'd been doing quite a lot of engineering bits at this point, but as an engineer, you generally have to go freelance. So obviously, if you've just got a few days here and there, it's a big leap to make to give up that salary especially living in London. So that, once it became apparent that it was going to be, you know, a couple of months at least, it ended up being about a year, I think, <laughs> then that sort of gave me the sort of the amount of work that I needed in order to make that leap to go freelance. Mm. It's quite scary, though, isn't it? Kind of thinking, do I take away the security and go straight into this unknown? But yeah. Guess, you know, working with Coldplay, that's quite a good comfort cushion, isn't it? Yeah, and also I think by that point I'd been at Air for 10 years. I mean, that is the thing. It sort of takes, if you go down the kind of big commercial studio route, 10 years is generally the time it takes to go from first starting to then going and engineering your own projects. Yes. But yeah, it's a job where you have to be patient anyway, don't you? Yeah. And, and really kind of, you've just got to be very calm, haven't you? Yeah, because the 100%. Yeah, do you see people come in who maybe think, I'm going to do this, and it doesn't quite work out for them because they haven't quite got the characteristics? Yeah, I mean, you do sometimes maybe get someone on work experience who thinks that they're going to be a producer within a couple of weeks. And it doesn't quite work like No. Yeah. Or people that just aren't prepared for the hours, which is fine as well. You know, it's good to find that out earlier rather than later, I think. So you got the gig with Coldplay, as it were, really, mm. and that was a massive turning point for you. But also, because you became Engineer of the Year, and I guess 
over time and people get to know who you are, getting that award, was that massive for you? Yeah, it was really good. And I think it's also quite helpful because I was I was on mat leave when I actually got the award. Obviously, it was for work that I'd done beforehand. But again, it sort of was, was a thing that I could say that I'd done at a point where I wasn't actually working and, and I felt a bit invisible. And do you put yourself forward for something like that or do you get nominated? People get nominated, so I don't know whether managers nominate you or other producers and engineers. I can't remember who nominated me. And, and that is another part of what you do. Is, is it really important to get a manager? I think it depends. Some people don't have management and some people are really organised and really good at doing invoicing and stuff and diaries. I mean, I like. I think I'd go mad if I had to like, schedule my own diary. Okay. So it, it helps the organisation aspect? Definitely. I think most of my work is more from my own personal relationships and word of mouth and stuff, but the things that I find the agent or manager is really helpful for is the scheduling, diary kind of stuff. Because often people's schedules change so much or they might put you on hold and not confirm stuff and then someone else wants you. And so they deal with all that side. And then the other thing they deal with is contracts and negotiating rates with... Which is horrible. Which is horrible. Because often on film projects, the composers will be given the whole budget. So if I was doing it myself, I'd be then be negotiating my fee with the person that I'm then working with all day long which makes mixing. Which awkward. Which would be really awkward, I think. So I'm really happy to have yeah. someone else do that for me. Push that part away and you do all the creative stuff. Exactly. We mentioned your son and I know that you're really passionate about paternity leave and having shared parental leave yeah. being self-employed. Because when I was on my first maternity leave, I didn't even get shared parental leave. This is a new thing anyway. So how is it going with trying to get that through so you get it for self-employed people? Because I didn't even know you couldn't do it for self-employed people. I mean, it makes no sense because self-employed people are the people that could use it the most because they haven't got all these employment rights and protections. Yeah. So it would be useful to just kind of be able to swap and like share childcare and work. So, um, yeah, the campaign's going well. We we had a 10-minute rule bill in Parliament which didn't pass its second reading because the government didn't support it, but it could still get another go at a second reading during this Parliament. I mean, obviously, Parliament's a little bit preoccupied with say, the B word at the moment. Let's, let's just get that one sorted <laughs> and then maybe they might be able to, to concentrate yeah. on what you're doing. But, I mean, we've still had quite positive responses. Our campaign was mentioned in business questions last week and the Minister agreed to meet with us. Again, I mean, it's a, th- a policy that wouldn't cost any extra money. It's not a particularly partisan thing. I mean, both Labour and Conservative want to do right by self-employed people. Well, hopefully, in time, you'll get it through, because it sounds like you're really, really passionate about it. Just, you know, we just need to keep pushing. So that sounds like it's taking up quite a lot of your time at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But what's coming up for you? Well, the past year I've been really busy working on Coldplay. I've got a bunch of live concert DVDs and films coming out, and so spent a lot of time working on that, doing surround sound mixes. I've also been mixing and recording the music for Doctor Who. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, That's really yeah. exciting. Is that through just people you know, or is that um, through... So the composer agent? and I have been in touch for quite a while, but we'd never managed to find a project that we could work together on, so this kind of just all worked out. It sounds incredibly busy at the moment. Yeah. Do you think trying to get the shared parental leave, because you're kind of winning on that one, mm. do you think that's given you more confidence as well to sort of really go for stuff? Because sometimes I find when you're self-employed and you're just working alone, sometimes you're just kind of sitting alone at home and you think, oh, this isn't, I'm not having a very good day. Yeah. It can drop your, your morale. But if you're fighting for something, that really helps. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's sort of got me out and about a bit more and actually got, I guess, a bit more recognition from other, like, industry bodies I guess trade bodies and that kind of thing which I don't know if it would lead to more work necessarily but it's you know given me a network of supporters and people that are also on side and helping fight the cause as well absolutely and, and so if anyone is like listening and they're thinking right I kind of think I want to do this kind of work 
what would you say would be the sort of the key things? I mean, obviously your personality is pretty key, isn't it? Yeah. But to try and sort of get in that door, because it's getting that foot in the door, isn't it? Absolutely. I think you've got to be persistent. But not too annoying. Not annoying, but, you know, I think that's the thing. If you're a good judge of people, if you get on with people, if you're a pleasant person to be around, then if you do a bit of work experience with people, people will generally like you and probably ask you to come back. Be personable. Exactly. Be personable, be nice to people, you know, no often like no one to not say anything just be you know be quiet and friendly basically <laughs> and is there an album that you listen to at home that you've worked on that you go back to time and again that, that gives you great pleasure the trouble is there's too many that's the thing isn't it yeah and I think sometimes when you've worked on something for so long you just want to not hear it anymore yeah or certainly put it on the shelf for yes, a bit and then yeah. maybe rediscover it in a few years yeah. time because it's a bit like the Coldplay album I was listening yeah. to because it's been quite a long time since it came out yeah 2014 I yeah think. and actually that's one that I think probably just around the release time I couldn't listen to it but now when I hear stuff you know there's some really great tracks in there I think my favourite one's True Love with a string arrangement and now it sort of brings back like good memories of where Working on it, that like we did a really amazing string session in Abbey Road for that, and did one at Air as well. It's it's really fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for sort of sharing the ins and outs of a career that not many people. I mean, do you sometimes feel a bit like we're the unsung heroes? We do all the hard work. No one really knows who we are. They know who the band are, but we don't know who we are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, although I guess the personality types that do engineering, those kind of jobs, I guess we're not the ones that want to be lead singers. <laughs> yes, fair enough. But it's so nice to get, I think, to get recognition as well and, and to have an industry that recognises you and to, yeah. to get your name out and about. Things like Twitter help, don't they? Yeah, although I go on it a bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> Join the club. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. Me. Thanks for listening to Where Did It All Go Right and for all your comments as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Where Go Right. You can download, you can share, you can subscribe and just enjoy it. They're on iTunes, all the episodes, and Podbean too. And there'll be another new episode next Sunday.